Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 76 movies, one cage. This is episode 64, Season of the Witch, from 2011, directed by Dominic Cena. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today, back again, is Jordan Poland-Clark. Hello, Jordan. Hey, you guys. So now, this is a movie I can't believe that you kind of wanted to put yourself through this again, because I know you weren't crazy about this the first time you saw it. Well, I'm going to be honest. I don't really remember watching it the first time. I mean, I'd heard of it because people talk about it because it's not a good movie. It's been on two of my favorite bad movie podcasts, and I think it came up one time when I was playing Nicolas Cage Roulette, and I tried to watch the first, like, half hour, and it was boring, and I don't think I finished it. But I thought I would try again, because you know what? I like bad movies. I like Nicolas Cage, and so I went for it. But the first half hour is the best half hour. I know. It's really strange. I don't remember that the first time, but I did really like the first half hour. I watched this for How Did This Get Made, and I don't remember any of it for this movie. (laughs) And the entire time I was confusing it with In the Name of the King of Dungeon Siege Tale and waiting for Jason Statham to show up and then about four. Because I think we even talked about it months and months ago on one of the really early Cage Clubs. I was like, oh no, he'll be with Jason Statham at one point. So I've sort of been looking forward to this for months and now it doesn't even it's not even the right movie. So the good news is that Season of the Witch is a much better movie than In the Name of the King, but the bad news is that I'm still not crazy about it overall. Yeah, that's not really saying a lot. But that, that is disappointing <laughs> that you didn't get Jason Statham and you thought you were going to. I would be disappointed by that too. I sort of have mixed feelings about this movie, guys. I <laughs> I know it's a bad film, but damn it if I didn't enjoy it on, like, a lot of levels. I'd like, more level, more good than bad, if you can believe it. I don't know what's going on with me. Cage Club is starting to really affect me in strange ways, perhaps. I remember hearing about this film, seeing trailers for it, and it was one of the first movies that I would see a trailer for, and then it never came out, or, like, mysteriously missed its release date, and was sort of rescheduled and dropped at a later date, and, you know, I just thought this was the start of his straight-to-DVD career, for the most part. We'll we'll get into it, but there's a lot of sort of imitation going on here, and I don't know if it all comes across the way they want it. I'm just, like, immediately struck by its made-for-TV budget. I think that is, like, the first thing that I had to get used to, and it's the first of many things that kind of were questionable going on in this film. I think the big problem, and this goes back to why we mentioned the director at the top, because we sort of only mentioned the director in the intro when it's noteworthy, We mentioned that it's Dominic Cena because he also directed Gone in 60 Seconds, and I think the big problem with this movie is the same problem with that movie, that the pacing is just weird. There's not action scenes when there should be action scenes, and for the most part, like, for a lot of this movie, the whole, like, main plot of bringing the Switch to trial, it feels like an episode of Game of Thrones... That's not like a filler episode, but it's one where there's like one big action scene. It sort of feels like when Arya is in in season one or season two, when Arya is just traveling, like she is captured and she's a rat or whatever. It just feels like a journey episode. It's not like the interesting episode. Like if it's the same era sort of as Game of Thrones, the same kind of things happening. It just doesn't work. Well, that was my biggest problem with it, was that I really couldn't get on board and wasn't interested in the adventure that they were having. What happened over and over again in this movie was that the people who made it just made, like, no choices, no strong choices about what anything was supposed to be. (laughs) Like, I mean, I'll start off with the accents, because that's the most obvious one. But, like, even starting in the writing, it was like, sometimes they would talk, you know, kind of in a period-appropriate way, but most of 
of the time they didn't. Joey, we were talking about this earlier. It could have been a little bit like a Knight's Tale where like it's in a different time period than the kind of language that they're using. But it wasn't that because every once in a while someone would kind of talk old timey or like have a British accent for no reason. And that's just the most obvious example of really no choices being made. I think you talked about it a little bit too when you talk about the pacing and like the action sequences. There were just no strong choices. I definitely got like uh, a lot of that vibe going on. Like this, this film, it's not cohesive in a strange way. You know, like I don't know. It just feels like something is definitely missing or going on here. Um, there's a lot of conflict too in the setup. This whole thing with them going through the Crusades, and that's really great and exciting and all that. And then it switches to something that has like nothing to do with the first ten minutes of the movie, basically, and it becomes like a very dark, sort of slow-paced quest in a weird way like i was getting sort of dungeons and dragons vibes from this like a middle earth vibe you know just this whole we have to walk somewhere to get rid of something evil sort of mission and like maybe that's all they really had going for them and they (laughs) tried to make up the rest the best they could as they went along and and as for the accents like that is my least favorite thing about this like that's the one thing i don't like is that everybody decided to talk like they talk or put on a voice or or not and no one sort of seems like they they talk to each other to say like this is going to be a period appropriate piece this actually takes place like on earth or this is some mythical fabled land that they are in i mean and it's never very clear and concrete it, this seems like a movie like struggling with itself at times well it kind of comes out in an interesting time because it comes out the same year before we even get to that i guess the thing to point out is that this was supposed to come out in early 2010 because the studio was so, so, so unhappy with the version of the movie that Dominic Cena put together, they brought in Brett Ratner to do extensive reshoots. And so the reshoots were done in September of 2010, I think. And so this movie got bumped to 2011. That's just a mess of a backstory there. But it also comes out at a time where Game of Thrones is about to start on TV, or maybe it already began, where after the Lord of the Rings and sort of like the Hobbit movies, like there's a lot of things I think you were saying, like, you know, feels like a reference to a lot of things. It's just sort of like, oh, this kind of stuff seems cool right now. Like, let's just sort of capitalize on that. And let's borrow from this and borrow from this. Like Jordan was saying, I just don't think that instead of making choices, it's just like, oh, let's just let's just borrow things from everywhere. Yeah, and I think this is also, I mean, it's trying to do fantasy, but it's also trying to say, like, this is also Earth, like, past history, you know? Like, almost as if this witch actually existed at one point. It's very strange how that comes across, and usually with fantasy, you want to strike a more sort of broad tone, you know? I feel like this is just for adults, and that's a tough market to sell, you know, a fantasy film to. You want to at least have some elements for the teenage audience or, you know, a younger audience in there as well. R-rated fantasy hasn't usually played very well in theaters. I really would have liked this as a horror movie. It has that vibe a little bit in the first, like, 20 minutes. Like, yeah. like the mm-hmm. first part where the witch isn't dead. He pulls her back out of the water. Like, that was scary. I jumped after Nicolas Cage and Ron Perlman. Is that the other guy? Mm-hmm. They leave and they're walking. They're walking back to their home and they come across the plague for the first time and when that family turns over and they're all gross that scared me too and if it would have kept going down that path i would have really liked it but it was pretty much over well what's weird is that the first 10 minutes of the movie like it's not a horror like, i don't know like uh, it could go in a horror vibe but the first 10 minutes are just sort of ron perlman and Cage just sort of like swashbuckling and fighting their way through history 
it's almost like the only point in the movie where Ron Perlman smiles. It's like the only part of the movie where he enjoyed filming it and making this part. And the rest of the movie, it just becomes this one journey of them bringing the witch to trial. And it's just, it's weird to start the movie off because I genuinely do really, really like the first 10 minutes. Like, it's fun, it's bright, it's exciting. And then they sort of like flip a switch and just like, all right, we're going to be slow and depressing and all dismal now for the rest of the film. Can I ask you guys a Nicolas Cage related question? Yeah, absolutely. That's why we're here. So you've obviously seen more Nick Cage movies than I have. But it seemed to me, or what I kept thinking while I was watching this, is that he ends up often being this character who is pretty manly but has this, like, deep conflict in his eyes. For a lot of this movie, like, he abandoned fighting because he couldn't stand the thought of, like, killing innocent women and children. And then he kind of forms this bond a little bit with the witch and is kind of her protector and is, like, she has to have a fair trial. And I see him, like, kind of falling into that role as the protector who's, like, deeply conflicted. Do you guys see that watching all of his movies? Or is it just the four that I watched? The point that I want to make in terms of that is that about half an hour into the movie i wrote down do we care about this witch and the answer really is no but i think we're, we're supposed to care about it because cage cares about her that he's the only character in this movie who actually cares about this witch he's the only one who wants to see her get a fair trial he's the only one who is sort of interested in getting her to the destination unharmed i mean i'm not sure if he is this sort of tender-hearted guy maybe mike can sort of answer it better he definitely falls into that role or archetype here that he's the manly sort of i don't know like the the white knight kind of right like the one sort of whose duty it is to make sure that she's protected and brings her to safety or brings her to where she's going to be quite honest with you like his character in this never really kind of landed for me entirely because like i liked in the beginning how you know he was this action hero and then he does this horrible thing that he casts doubt onto everything he's ever done you know he's like are we killing for god the church for you like who decides you call this glorious murdering women and children know your place knight you pledge your life to the cause for god not for this i am the herald of god in this world his voice rings ever in my ears perhaps it is not his voice you hear how dare you I am the voice of the church, bathed in truth and blameless in the light of my Lord. You are no more than a rogue with blood on his hands. Who controls your insolent tongue, Bayman? Let's get the hell out of here. You cannot leave. Who's going to stop us? When he discovers like this girl who they're gonna try, they're gonna burn her without a trial. He's like, okay, here's something like maybe I can try and save this girl to you know somehow get rid of all these bad thoughts. I could you know it'll help me a rebirth of some kind. Like if I could do this one good deed and see that she gets a trial before they kill her, maybe it'll redeem me in some way. But the problem is like she actually is a witch, you know, and like uses her powers in front of them, and then he's like still like she deserves a trial, and then. At one point, it's weird because he's totally he totally flips and is just like she needs a trial. And the next thing, he's like, "We got to kill her immediately." And the priest is like, "No, no, no, the trial, the trial." So yeah, I don't know. Like as soon as I was sort of laying into his character and going along with it, he sort of felt like he switched on me for no good reason. The problem there that you point out is that there's no consistency within the characters. Like I can see Cage as a character. It could be interesting if he transitions from going from like she needs a fair trial to like let's kill her. But you're right; it sort of does flip a switch from one scene to the next like it's too fast 
There's no arc. There's no journey. The bigger problem I think there is with this movie is that the characters just aren't intelligent. It's not like these are dumb guys. You know, like you could have like a dumb character, but like none of these guys are smart. Like they all see what's going on and they don't put two and two together. They seem like they're pretty good at what they do. It just that's what bothers me. They just don't have common sense, which drives me crazy. What are you even wanting them to put together? I mean, they see her do her witch things when she basically gets that one guy to turn on the other guy and accidentally stab and kill him. Like, the way they describe it, it's like classic example of witchcraft. And this is a world where witches exist, where they know, like, what witches can do. They're even talking about they'll make you turn on one another. And then, like, they see that happen, and they don't do anything about it. They're just still willing to talk to her and ride close with her and not, like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's true. Even, like, as somebody watching the movie, they really even, like, kind of glazed over that. Like, we watched yeah. it happen. I'm watching it, and I see that she's a real witch, which she wasn't really, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and it was just, like, it happened. Yeah, you're right. And then everyone just kind of was like, well, let's go back. He's dead yeah, now. Yeah. Let's go back and keep doing our journey. I have sort of a solution for myself to accept this. Like, if they had just sort of changed it to, she's a witch, we have to get her to the abbey to perform this ancient ritual to make sure her soul never comes back, right? Like, in the very beginning scene, that's what they did. Like, the priest hung these three women, drowned them, and one was actually a witch, and he had to perform some sort of ceremony to kill her for real, but she got away. So I was like, all right, that's the whole setup. They're going to find a witch. When they're presented with her here, I was like, okay, the mission will be to get her to the abbey to use the book on her and stuff but no they're like <laughs> she's gonna go there to stand trial and everything so it was just very perplexing to me because it seemed like she was already guilty you know why didn't they just sort of have the trial right there why didn't they just perform everything right there in the town in front of christopher lee i don't know i don't know that they're the ones who are able to perform the trial I think the problem here is that we don't know who has what ability. Like, we don't know who's the final sayer, because eventually, like, they get to where they're bringing her, and everybody's dead. It's like, there wouldn't, there's never a chance for a trial. What's the whole point? That they want a trial so that they can publicly kill her, and then publicly sort of end the plague? See, that's not even clear, right? I liked Mike's point that he made before, because I didn't pick up on this, that the only reason Nick Cage cares about her having a trial is because he's trying to kind of right a wrong, because he, you know, feels like he killed these innocent people, and so now he has to, like, do the right thing. Don't they have to bring her to this place, because that's how they're gonna get rid of her witchcraft, and that's how, like, they're saying that she's causing the plague, so that's how the plague is gonna go away, is if they get rid of her. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, like, aren't all the witches causing the plague or something? They find that book. There's so much, like, complicated <laughs> mythology yeah. here. It's and over this complex. Movie, this movie really should be, I mean, I don't, I don't want it to be unless it was better, but, like, it should be over two hours. And it's 95 minutes long. The story that they're telling is so complicated, they just don't tell it effectively. Like, it's convoluted, and, like, there is, I think, an interesting story here and an interesting journey. But, like, the things that they choose to show and the way that they convey the story doesn't make sense and just isn't interesting. I think one of the big problems is there's just one witch, right? And she doesn't really do a whole lot of witch-like stuff, you know? This isn't exactly the Sorcerer's Apprentice here. I mean, (laughs) she's not casting plasma bolts. I think it would have been a little more beneficial if during those crusade sequences, like, they had to kill a witch or two, right? Like, they are servants of God and stuff, so it could have been cool if they made the army, one of them, like, Army of the Witch or something like that, and if they had just sort of set up the idea that there are more of these types of beings out there, I think that would have 
help the rest of this play a little better when we focus in on this one individual witch? I don't really have a problem that there's just one witch. I think that could work. But I think the other point that you brought up, that she just doesn't do enough witch stuff, that's the big problem. That she has all these powers, like she's able to summon wolves to fight. Why is she not doing crazy things the entire time? It feels like the way the movie defends itself from this not happening is like, oh, she wanted us to bring her here the entire time. Like, she always wanted to get here. That's why she never stopped us. That's why she never escaped. She needed to come here. But no, like, I don't know. It just feels like a cheap cop-out. Like, show us more things. She's got all these powers. If she just wants to get to this final destination then realistically, she should have done nothing on the journey, right? What's confusing is why she needs an escort there. It feels like, you know, in the opening, I think it's the same witch, or at least the same demon witch thing. We'll get there. Its deal was, it was sort of, it could sense where these books were around the world, and and it was going around sort of destroying all of them. And so it was kind of confusing as to why it couldn't just go directly to the abbey, sort of kill all the monks, and burn the whole place to the ground. I guess because it got captured? But if it's so strong and can cause men to see their dead daughters in each other like couldn't she just trick everybody to sort of slaughter themselves or or she had like that plague power sort of she can infect a wound and make all that grow on somebody i feel like if she really wanted to she could have busted out of that place right we don't really have a reason why she didn't and i think that's another problem i might go off on like a weird feminist thing but like it's really strange to watch a movie with like all these men and like the one woman they keep her in a cage i like what you said before like the only reason we're supposed to care about her is because Nick Cage cares about her. Oh, a dude made this movie, I guess oh, yeah, is my yeah. point. Like It's so clear in a way that makes it really, really unrelatable. Well, the problem is that nobody is interesting, and she should be the most interesting. Like, she she is, like, we'll let's just get to the end right now. She's not a witch, but, like, she's this ultimate demon, maybe the devil? I don't know. She's, like, some ultra-powerful demon who possessed this girl, this actual girl, who, by the way, is never named until the last five minutes. She's just known on IMDb in the credits as The Girl which is horrible sexist writing as well. She like it's a demon who infected this girl and like she got all his powers like like she should be the most interesting character and she's given nothing to do and then all these guys like they sort of have the whole movie to sort of become interesting and nothing ever comes of that either. Yeah, I think the closest I get is the sort of uh, the guy Kai, the young altar boy who who grows yeah. to become a knight. Like that's the one guy I sort of kept sort of hanging on to, and like I was glad when he was on screen. And and that actor's really good. I've seen him in in Misfits, the British series, and he's totally different in that than he is in this. And and I was like, okay, this this kid's sort of in the right movie, doing the right stuff. And and then we get to like Cajun Perlman, and it's just like weird. They feel like they're in like an 80s John Carpenter film or something like that, you know? And it's just, I'm getting such a conflicted tone even though I'm still having fun and and like I said before, there's lots of stuff I do like about this film, but there are things you just have to point out that are interrupting the flow. And what's kind of frustrating is that there are moments in here where the, the characters are interesting. It's sort of engaging to watch. It brings me back in a weird way to Never on Tuesday where that was a movie where just sort of nothing happened and the pace was super sluggish except for, of course, Man with Red Sports Car. They have that one scene around the campfire, which I think is, again, in this movie, maybe the best scene. Them talking, not doing anything, and just the character story about why Cage and Ron Perlman joined the church and decided to fight for the church. And, like, Cage tells that story, and, like, it sort of ends with that punchline. I heard what the Cardinal said about your heroism in the Crusades. I would have gone, too, but I was too young. 
You're one of the lucky ones. Well, tell me about it. Where did you enlist? It was a priest who came to Felsen's village. He told us whoever went on crusade would receive blessings from the church. Remission from sin. It was the part about sin that perked young Felsen's interest. Well, that's not true. So he asks the priest what sins would be forgiven. Would they forgive adultery? The priest says, yes. For a two-year pledge. What about theft? Yes. For a three-year pledge. So Felsen mulls it over and says to the priest, better sign me up for ten. <laughs> and I like that's such a like just the way he's delivering it, and like the way I guess that it's like all focuses on him and we're just hearing that story. Like I love that scene, and then we just get back on the road and just nothing's happening. You know what would have been great, and I think this this would have helped out with the, the feminist bent too, is like if Ron Perlman was like a woman warrior or something. I mean, I know it would have completely not fit to have hit, had her fighting in the Crusades, but then again, like I don't think there are any people were taking time off to battle witches back then either. Or introduce her in the town as the last standing warrior of the village that goes off with them instead of another dude just like dressed in black who's going to get iced in like five minutes anyway i don't even think he makes it to the rickety bridge i mean if you want to draw another game of thrones comparison like make her a brienne of tarth like right. make a gwendolyn christie like you know it could be a powerful woman who's sort of i mean I, I don't want this to sound sexist but you know sort of like manly like that's sort of the whole brienne of tarth role is that she's like this woman who's sort of not considered a woman but she still is sort of like this feminist icon right like make her that's a great idea like i don't need ron perlman like they're the camaraderie between cage and whoever that partner is whether it's a man or woman and that's what's important. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. Give women or girls or something, like, something to latch onto, something to be interested in in this movie. It's true. They, they do pick up so many people, kind of, when they're starting their journey to go with them. Might as well have thrown a token lady in there. <laughs> Yeah, and I even, you know, just was thinking of, like, Thor, right? Like, even Thor's got a girl on his team, you know? And, like, she is more badass. Like, he's got, like, a Robin Hood, a fat guy, like, some other dandy. And then they got, like, this badass chick. She makes the guys look poor in comparison, too. So, could have worked out. Since we're talking about the crew that goes with him, can we talk about Hagamir? <laughs> can we please? <laughs> I don't even remember. Why is this guy going? Why is Hagamir going with them? So he's in the stockade, right? And yeah. he's just sort of, he. I think he knows the area. Like, he knows. He's a that, guy. Okay. He's a guy. Yeah, right. Because there's a map, and, and the, they're like, these are the best maps we have in Cage. Like, these are terrible maps. Like, <laughs> I need something better than this. And they're like, well, there is a guy, but he's kind of like a drunk, and he's in the stockades. And they go out to this guy, and he's just, like, flat out, like, talking in a Brooklyn accent. Like, it's crazy it's like he didn't get the memo but then jordan like you found out something like even crazier about this actor right he's british which makes no sense makes no sense when he first came on the screen and started talking i had to pause it so i could laugh and then continue watching and yet today i googled him and he's british why wouldn't they just keep him british it would have worked just fine yeah that is insane i actually thought this was the guy his young partner from Portocol, new orleans i was like oh he's just using his regular voice or whatever like he's got an accent and like that's the director was just like 
do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. But yeah, to find out that he's putting on that voice is just ludicrous. Like, if ever there was a movie for Cage to go over the top with an accent to go full Captain Corelli's mandolin again, like, this should have been it, right? It's just one of those missed opportunities. Like, I think it also would have sold this film more as, like, a tongue-in-cheek sort of adventure as opposed to this failed horror tone that they were trying to rock here. I looked up, because I always look up for the for the movies, you know, Cage and Actions, who the actors, if he's worked on these people before, literally no one in this movie has ever been in another Cage movie or will be in another Cage movie. It's like this movie exists, like, I think they shot it in, like, some three or four European countries. I guess this is sort of another one of those movies where Cage just went overseas to make a movie, and even though there are names, like, you know, Ron Perlman's a name, and the director is somebody, I think I've heard... Christopher oh, Lee! And Christopher, Christopher Lee, like, fucking Lee is oh. in this movie. Like, the guy is a legend. I mean, especially in these types of gothic films. Like, he is known for that, and it's just incredible. I mean, like, like he is doing some of the best stuff here, at least, you know? <laughs> How can he not? Like, all he has to do is sit there, and he outdoes everybody in the rest of the movie. Uh, and we do get Cage to act with this legend, so, I mean, I'm sure that was a thrill for him, but, man, it's like, you got a guy like that, and this is what happens to you. It just feels like a disappointment after that. It's, oh, I don't understand. Like, there's movies that we've watched, and this is another one, where I just don't know why people accepted it. Like, I kind of want to read the script for this, because I feel like the script is probably interesting. I can almost guarantee it's more interesting than the movie, but I feel like it's probably a pretty interesting script when all said and done. You know, you have these guys with a history, it's in a cool era, they kind of have a cool task that they need to do, but it just doesn't come across. And I don't know if that's a failure on the director's part, I don't know if it's a mess in terms of reshoots, I don't know what the problem is, but I just get the sense that this, there's like a cool idea here that just is poorly, poorly executed. Yeah, and I think that's what keeps me hanging on is the concept. Like, conceptually, I like fantasy adventures. I don't play Dungeons & Dragons, but I love, like, that whole concept. And, you know, I like role-playing video games, so I love when, like, a guy has to form a group and go take care of evil stuff and, you know, cross a big map and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's expectation that sort of keeps me watching this, right? Like, I know it's going to disappoint, but I just hold out hope that, you know, at some point something worthy is going to happen. And for nothing else... like. I truly do love the way Cage looks in his robes and with the sword and you know the production value is growing on me and it's looking better as we go along so there are those kind of things that I like about it I want to look up. I didn't look up the budget. You want to? Should we guess what the budget for this movie is cuz I feel like I think I it's know. probably I astronomically high. I looked it up earlier and I might remember it. I'm going to well, we say can... it's south of a uh, 100 million. Pick a number. 80 80. I'll go 80. Jordan, what do you think it is? Do you, do you remember? 40. It's 40. Okay. Which which is kind of impressive. Still, I mean, considering... It's on the screen, I feel, for the most part. They dropped the Cons- ball at the end with the demon creature a little bit. I feel like we'll get there. I think there's reasons that looks the way it does. But for the most part, I could see it. I just look at a movie like Sorcerer's Apprentice, which cost $150 million. I mean, I don't know. I guess it's really just them dr- like riding through... I guess there's not a lot of special effects... Yeah. It feels like this type of movie should be a bigger budget than this than it is, you know? But it's not. Like, 40 is kind of low for me. It only made 24 in the U.S., 
You know, it's interesting. Like, they don't really fight a lot of creatures. Like, they fight the wolves. And then at the end, I love the zombie monks that come back to life. But those aren't CGI or anything. Like, they went practical with that stuff. And a lot of this film feels practical. There's there's big mat shots. But that rickety bridge, you know, the suspension bridge sequence seems like it was on a set of some type or something. Like, they actually were pushing a big cart over a stupid bridge. You know, well, it is 40 million. They don't exactly fight any cave trolls, you know. No, there isn't, like I said, no one's throwing fireballs. And we do get those impressive crusade sequences at the top of the show, though. And I think you can see that's where they spent most of that budget. I think that's also why the middle of it feels so not as exciting as maybe the beginning and maybe even the end. is because it's just like trees. And, you know, they create this world that we're supposed to believe in. And there's really no world setting visually. Yeah, that's why I sort of felt it shouldn't have been Earth. It should have been, you know, some fantasy realm because all you really need to do is, like, put an extra moon in the sky or do some kind of strangeness with the ambience and you can just, you know, chalk it up to being an alternate reality of some type. One thing I want to bring up, and it's not, it's, this is sort of a change of subject, but I want to bring it up to Jordan. It sort of relates back to what we were talking about earlier. Again, sort of in terms of feminist writing, there's this conflict in the middle of the movie, and I think it's when Eckert dies. The witch implies that someone abused her or, like, raped her. I don't know. Like, there's some weird... Like, not only is she literally in a cage the whole movie and given nothing to do, but now she's, like, a victim, too. I didn't necessarily follow what was going on. She kind of used it as an excuse for, like, why, like, why it was okay this guy was a bad guy or something it was just weird maybe i didn't follow exactly what what it was about but did that strike a weird note with you guys yeah they didn't give you very much to follow because it really was just like that one line she said right where she was like don't leave me alone with him or something like that where she like refused to be alone with this one guy and somehow implied that he had abused her or something had happened i definitely picked up on that maybe that would have been interesting to elaborate on at least it would have been something to follow but they gave us nothing else I think that they might have felt like there's enough there for you to extrapolate what they're talking about, but there just isn't. You know, we, we talk a lot about show, don't tell, but here they're not showing or telling, you know? I mean, this movie needs a scene where someone talks too much at one point, I feel, you know, over-explains their motive or, or something, or this whole thing of her being a deceiver or thing, or her playing people against, I didn't pick up on that, or it didn't hit me hard enough the way I feel the movie wanted it to, like, the I, I think the movie wanted you to think like she's in their minds this whole time and I just don't get that. It could have also been kind of like you were saying, Joey, that like she was trying to trick them or trying to get sympathy by being like, don't leave me alone with this guy. He's abused me or raped me or whatever. But again, that's just like such bad writing like just some dumb dude being like but she was raped but now we feel bad for her yeah and then like leaving it and never talking about it again it's just weird so whether okay so if it's real or if it's fake whether it's just whether something actually happened or if she's pulling her witch thing and saying hey like feel bad for me because this guy did this and like you know you should you should go against each other because you're all sort of evil and corrupt whether it's real or fake like that's such a like a hackneyed cliche awful thing to resort to that oh how can you gain sympathy like oh she's been raped she's been abused mm-hmm. be smarter about it there's so many ways you could go with this and just to resort to that is just frustrating at the end when we find out that this girl is sort of possessed she isn't exactly a witch in the way that we thought she was a witch like it, it could have been interesting if 
she needed one of these guys to make it to the end. You know, if she, if there was some kind of like she needed to perform a ritual too in order to never die, or she needed a new host or something, you know, or some kind of insurance in case they tried to pull some shit when they got there. Because like otherwise, I don't know why she wasn't just picking them off one by one until it was sort of like the last man standing. Well, I think that goes back to her not so clear ambitions that she needs. I don't, but I don't know. Like, why aren't you picking them off one by one and then just like walking or riding a horse to this destination? Yeah, because she's only killing the ones that are talking about killing her, right? Like the one night's like, we should get rid of her. And then like he is killed because thinks he sees his daughter. And then the other guy is like, we should take care of her. And then he's attacked and killed by wolves. But it's like, what? And she even saves the one kid from falling off the bridge. It's just, uh, yeah, I needed her motives to be clear. (laughs) So it makes sense that she's killing the people who want to kill her because that's self-defense that's getting her where she needs to go. Along the way, you should also be killing the best warriors. Cage and Ron Perlman are basically recruited because they are these kind of deserters and they have to do this, otherwise they'll be killed or whatever. But they're also like these sort of known quantities, like they're these warriors, right? And they're going to be good at fighting. So like if you know at the end, as this demon, that your job is going to be easier if they're not there, why don't you try to kill them? Or like kill Ron Perlman? I I don't get it. It seems like it was really just somebody's insistence to make the movie about Nick Cage and not about the witch at all. Even though the movie's called mm-hmm. Season of the Witch, let's not make it about the witch. It was like somebody just was like forging down that path, even though it didn't really make sense. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You're right. It shouldn't really be about him in a weird way. You know, it should focus more central around this witch demon creature. I feel like her perspective and her character, by far, I'm much more interested in knowing about, too. I feel like I kind of know everything I'm going to know about the Nick Cage character once he accepts the mission. You know, he's just a man of his word who's going to be valiant and, you know, fight until the end. And that's cool. I like the way he plays all that. But if we had been following, like, this girl from getting captured to thrown in this cell to then being put in this wagon to being trekked across the land and stuff like that, that could have been a lot more interesting. What does Season of the Witch even mean? Is it just a reference <laughs> to that, that Donovan song? Because we have this movie and we have Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Why is it called Season of the Witch? I don't know what it means in life, but in this movie, is the plague the season of the witch? But it's not like a season. Like, Don't they say it's been going on for like three years and a season? <laughs> well, that's a, you could call that a long season. It's not a Game of Thrones winter, though. It's not like it's, <laughs> it's well, a long season of illness. I just sort of took it as a way of saying like a time when things go bad. The season of the witch is just like the Ides of March. Beware, watch your back. Just something shady is about to go down. Is that a real thing, or did you? Just I, I don't. I don't that? know. I don't. I mean, that's just sort of what I came up with. I'm gonna Google "season of the witch" meaning. Google "long at home." It's all just about that song, covered by everyone. Yeah, that made Donovan's career, if I'm not mistaken. George Romero also made a movie called <laughs> oh, "Season of the yeah, Witch." Yeah, it's not about witches. Well, neither is Halloween three. Like every, well, it's just it's not a warlock, kind of. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he is behind it all. Okay, can we talk about the bridge scene? We talked about it before, but I hate this scene so much. Like, I don't. Uh, it should be cool. It should be exciting, but it's also like so. They get to a bridge. They're on this journey to bring the witch to trial, and they get to this rickety bridge, and like, whoa, we can't go across. And Cage is like, I'm just gonna walk across, and he walks across with this horse. He's like, it's fine, just bring them over one at a time. And they start to cross the bridge, and then they need to get the cart across. As they're getting the cart across, the bridge starts to snap. And so it's this big set piece of them trying to get across the bridge. And maybe it's just because I don't care about the characters, but like, I don't really care if they're successful or not. 
Like, I don't care about this witch. I don't care about this journey. Cage is safely across. I, I don't... I feel like this is supposed to be this, like, exciting scene that you really care about, and you get behind these characters. It just doesn't work for me. I actually kind of like this sequence, but maybe only because nothing had been happening for a really long time, and we <laughs> finally got to, like, a set piece. I did sort of groan because it is just, like, the most overused idea, you know? Yeah. Like, especially on a mission. I mean, it was even parodied in the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you know? Like, when you get to the bridge and everything. But I don't know. Like, I think it's fine. It's just my only problem was, like, not enough people died during this. Like, I definitely felt like there needed to be a casualty of some type here. But there's... I think my only kind of gripe is that they get across successfully like it's just such a minor inconvenience when it's sort of set up to be one of like the only great perils that they have to face i was a little bit checked out during this part of the movie she saves one of them right yeah for no reason why that's that's my question well, why? here's the okay i have a theory there when that kid sort of joins the group in the beginning him and the witch kind of like i thought they exchanged a look and then i had in the back of my head like he's gonna do something dumb and succumb to her witchy ways and release her and stuff and i definitely thought that he was on her side when she saved him and i was like oh okay like that's the deal between these two he's gonna betray everybody when they get there and like maybe he's a witch too or or something but no like <laughs> it's just that didn't happen it should have happened but like it didn't happen he actually is the ex-altar boy turned knight who winds up reading the incantation to destroy the demon once and for all and winds up with this lovely unpossessed young lady. I really wonder if that was in the original script because it, it almost has to be, right? Supposedly when Brett Ratner was brought in for reshoots, his team also, like he also brought in his own editor and they tightened the whole movie up. So I wonder if they cut out scenes. I feel like this movie, like to be better, like it's it's close. Like I have, I don't think I've said a good thing about it all night, but like it's not bad. It's just it's kind of bad. It's just missing things. And I feel like there's scenes that like we just need him, like a two or three minute scene where he's talking to the witch. Like they're the only ones awake at night or something. We need to have some kind of connection some kind of relationship that we can get behind. It just sort of gives meaning to these characters. He is sort of the most interesting character, and really the only one who kind of lives through this, him and the girl who was possessed, everybody else kind of dies. By that alone, he's interesting. But also just sort of his journey about how he's this like, up-and-coming kid. You know, what Jordan said is that somebody decided this movie is about Nicolas Cage, we got him, he's a, he's a big star, we need him to be at this, in the, the forefront of every scene. And they sort of relegate this kid to the background until the very end of the movie. But we need, I think we just need more of him. We need more of him with the girl. And we just sort of need less of everything else. Yeah, and I definitely think we'd have got that if the focus was sort of more central to the witch character. I think the one thing he said there that really hit me is, like, they're so close, right? Like, there's just something, like, about this that feels more direct-to-DVD than theatrical release, and it's just one of those things that sometimes you just can't quite put your finger on, and I don't know if it's quality or too many cooks. Sometimes that's the case, and feels like one of those movies with too many fingers in the pot. On that note, do you know how long the beginning took when, you know, they show all the production companies? Oh, no. <laughs> an entire minute. Really? There wow. were three of them, and it took an entire minute. That's Why? how you know just... it's going to be good. There's a scene that I mentioned it earlier where the witch summons these wolves, that there's apparently a threat to her, that somebody threatens to kill her. It's sort of like there's like this twist, but it's not really a twist that she's not a witch. I guess it's, it's kind of a twist. If you have to put a label on it, but it's not a twist like it is in a thriller or like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But they treat it like a twist and they're like, 
oh, look, like, I'm actually doing this. They sort of, like, flash back to all these different times, and they show that, you know, she was threatened, and so she summons these wolves. And I don't know if this scene is actually exciting or, like, the bridge scene. It's just exciting in comparison to what else has been going on. But we see Cage just, like, kill, like, three or four wolves. A whole bunch of wolves get killed. Like, it's exciting in this movie, but not, I don't think it's exciting on its own. Yeah, I think the only thing that won me over is when the wolves sort of appeared to be like witch wolves, right? Like, when they snarled, they like over-snarled, and their face sort of morphed a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, like, that's sort of interesting. Like, we're actually getting to see sort of a mythical spin on something here, at least, you know? I mean, these horses aren't unicorns, so they're giving you something at least to hold on to. And and I kind of was thinking about the wargs in the Lord of the Rings stuff and everything. But again, I, I mean, like, anytime there's just like action I guess is like I'm paying attention and like I'm invested because like the atmosphere is so ripe for action you know and there's so many missed moments so far like there's great action in the opening and then like the witch could have been pulling tricks on an avalanche or an earthquake or you know a thunderstorm something cool and so when these action moments happen and you know especially towards the end with those monks like I thought that was just I was just in delight at that point because you know I was just delirious I think from watching (laughs) this thing but yeah I don't know I, I I was going with the wolf fight. At least they, you know, they all converged on the one guy, you know, so it was sort of like she summoned them to take him out specifically, and I don't know, it worked for me. What sort of bothered me about this sequence is that it's kind of sloppily shot, that I sort of got the impression that maybe I just missed things or I looked down and write notes or whatever, but I was like, oh, did like a whole bunch of people just die? I'm like, oh, there's only three left, you know, there's Cage, there's Ron Perlman, and there's the altar boy, and I'm like, oh no, there's a fourth guy. Oh no, there's like two other guys on horses. So like who died? Like they just there's so okay, I think that's maybe another problem here is that there's just so many people on this quest and we don't really know any of them except for the main three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a big call-out right there, right? Like, we only know the priest because he's dressed in like, the priest garb. Like, all we ever get out of Cage and Perman are that they're knights. So, you know, the young kid wants to be a knight. And that's really, yeah, that is their one note for him. And the guy in the stockade is just the guy from the stockades. Like, he's just the dirty guy, basically, or, like, the bum that tags along. So you're right. Like, they are definitely one note, and they don't really try to delve into any specific backstory. Hearing you lay it out like that, it really has the makings for what could be like a really fun crew, and it just like doesn't exist at all. I'll tell you something interesting is like the night before watching this, I watched another Ron Perlman film called Ice Pirates, and that movie it is just a fun film. Like it's not, it knows it's not the Star Wars, or it knows it's not the best thing, and nobody really has much depth to them. But everybody's making it work, you know. Everybody is in it to win it, and and I just kind of feel like. Like, not everybody's head is in the game in this film. Even if you don't have a lot to go on, you can still draw what you need, for the most part, to produce a good performance or deliver a good performance. And it just feels like some of these people are kind of sleepwalking. I feel like a problem that we have here, and it's something you were saying a little bit earlier about his crew, is it's kind of like the Gone in 60 Seconds crew, just comparing the two Dominic Cena movies, Mm -hmm. is that we sort of have, like, doubled-up, redundant people. Like, people don't have necessarily, like, a clear job or a clear focus, right? They're like, why do we need three computer hackers? Like, we can just have one. Like, why do we need all these different people? Why do we need, basically, Cage and Perlman, who have the same job, when we can have one and we can have someone else? Like... Why do we have all these, like, duplicate versions and people that aren't easily distinguishable, definable characters? 
at least in Gone in 60 Seconds, they have these fun ways of, like, introducing them one at a time. And so for a second, you kind of feel like maybe you know them and they might be interesting and relevant. And they don't even bother to do that here. Yeah, I agree there. Like, no one really has their big introduction sequence or anything like that to make them feel like a badass, you know, before they join up for real. And yeah, Joey, you're totally right. Like, why would you have redundancies unless you're just going to kill them off? And <laughs> you don't really even do that, right? Like, I figured, like, that was the reason there's so many people on this journey is because we got this horror film out in the woods and there's going to be a body count, but it's around this time in the movie, it's around the time when they're fighting the wolves and like there should be this body count that's piling up and there's just not, that we get kind of the most energy out of anybody for most of the movie. We sort of focus on Cage and Cage is like simmering and he's just so mad. And this is when he, I guess it kind of works in the scene. I think it works better than we were maybe giving it credit for a little bit earlier in the podcast. But he's like, the witch has to die. He's just like, he's, he's sort of had enough. She summoned the wolves. These wolves were brought in to kill this guy. And he sees, like, these senseless deaths. And he kind of hits his breaking point. He kind of, he just starts screaming about how no one spilled more blood in God's name than I have. Step aside. Two lives have already been lost. No one grieves for that more than I. Then step aside, or this arrow will be yours. If we falter now, those lives will have been lost in vain. Or will not be lost. Four lives will be spared. And what are four lives compared with the thousands more that would be lost if this plague is not ended? I know there may be no room in your heart for God, Bayman, but in my heart, I know he would not abandon us in God's name. No man has spilt more blood in God's name than I. A benevolent God will not ask such things of men! If you kill her, you will not have God to blame. I think it works as an emotional scene. I just wish we got this kind of intensity or this kind of character development a little bit more. But I I do kind of like that there is actual sort of like passion and intensity and like somebody cares about something. I really like this scene and it bothers me that it feels to me so sudden and jarring. Like I wish this came later or after we were charting this emotional switch, right? Because I don't know, I understand like the attack on the wolves and all this kind of, but he's seen her magic. He knows she's a witch. Like that's his whole deal. His whole deal was sort of to protect her in a way. While it's odd that he has like this sudden I just for me for from like a movie standpoint like it's just weird that he goes from one scene to the next and he feels like a completely different person yet I really like that moment too because right. I think like you say like there's that passion and everything and it just made me think back again like the, the quest shouldn't be like to get her to a trial it should be to kill her at a specific place that's holy and he can't wait to do it or so you know like at this point it's like I can't wait till we get there like she's gotta die and they could be like, no, it's not sanctified ground or something. <laughs> and like, I think that would have worked. And what's kind of weird and like, in just in terms of timing or whatever, for most of this journey, like nothing has happened. There's a couple sort of action set pieces, but there's no like emotion in anything. And then Cage has this like this big sort of breakdown, angry moment. And then they're there at their destination. Why not use that moment or have that moment come earlier and sort of have that break up the monotony of their journey it's like, okay, I have this big moment, and then within maybe five minutes, like, they're at this, like, monastery. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just weird timing that you don't need to save the movie with this, like, emotional outburst now, because we're about to have, like, the crazy sort of end-of-movie fight. Put this earlier, break it up a little bit, and sort of see, like, where this goes, where the relationship between Cage and the rest of his men go before we get to the end. 
I thought the whole thing was so silly. But I didn't really feel any of the emotions of this part because his character, it's like, was so out of character that I was very distracted by it. And then it was so silly that just, like, a second later, they were like, but look, there it is! Here's what I'd like to say is, like, there definitely should be something between that moment and getting to the abbey someone coming down with a plague running into crazy woods people having another encounter with something magical yeah, just more just more witch stuff yeah something of anything they got there too soon you're definitely right because we don't have time for those beats to land there's no grace period there we're at the abbey you know we're about to wrap this up so when we get to the abbey and i guess it makes sense in terms of geography of the movie but we get to the abbey and like there's just such a renewed focus on god and religion and belief and people are saying things like god would not abandon us and they're like looking for the book that can conquer evil. And it's at this point, and sort of throughout the movie, that it feels like this movie is a metaphor for something, but I don't know what it is. And maybe instead of being a metaphor for something, it's just like a condemnation of religion. And maybe it's just the writer saying, God doesn't exist. Like, look at this evil in this world. Like, but it also feels like the movie's not smart enough to be making either of those points. And I think that's why it doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's trying to have a point somewhere with all that religious talk. I don't know. It feels like it picked these sort of symbols to represent good and evil and isn't really using them right. Like, I mean, the one thing that kept throwing me off the whole film, right, is like there's this guy with him they call a priest. But he's clearly a monk, right? Like the way his hair is cut and he's got the monk robe and every like he's not a priest. You know, it just feels like they're appropriating symbols the way they want and I'm getting a mixed message from a lot of it yeah I could see at the beginning where it could get kind of anti-religion like we're killing women and children in the name of our religion and we can't do this anymore and so they don't do it anymore but then at the end isn't it religion that saves them yes 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 <laughs> no it was just like, checking oh, I thought maybe it was, it was. Like- <laughs> You hit something, because it's like, oh, the Crusades, you know? Look how, in the name of religion, look how many died and suffered and massacred. And, like, that's sort of what got him out of the whole gig. And then it was faith and religion that saves the day at the end. That is strange. And you know what saves the day is... is the line, I can't even say this without laughing, we're going to need more holy water. This witch just became this demon. They're like facing the bigger adversary than they had any intention, that they any idea that they were going to face. Like, is that line supposed to be played as a joke? Is it supposed to be a reference to Jaws? Or is it just come across as funny unintentionally? I definitely think it's supposed to be funny. I mean, Cage and Perlman have this whole running gag of you're buying next or, you know, you're buying tonight or like drinks are on you. (laughs) It's even like Perlman's dying words are like tonight you buy the drinks. And that is clearly like an attempted humor that is very misplaced. And I feel like there shouldn't be any humor, you know, the way either none or all out. This could have worked if it was more Wicker Man style, right, where they were trying to make like this Roger Corman era style. Excalibur King Arthur type send up, but I just feel like they're taking it way too seriously. The tone is all over the place. It's just weird. I, I don't. I don't really know how to transition to the next thing I want to talk about. It gets serious. Like I guess it's serious all movie. Like the jokes just feel out of place. What's weird is like they they deliver that line about needing more holy water, and then it seems like we're all of a sudden in a room. And this kid is talking about vows with Cage and sort of like going toe-to-toe and just like this big sort of existential or religious debate. 
and then caged knights him. It's just it's sort of all over the place. Like it's like a roller coaster when it shouldn't be. This is not your battle. I took a vow to join your cause. I release you from your vow. There is no shame in it. Honor is not a thing to be dismissed or forgotten. A vow must be fulfilled, else it is no vow at all. Even at the cost of your life. Even then. Neil Kai, speak after me. Grant me courage, O Lord. Grant me courage, O Lord. For I am thy servant. For I am thy servant. And gird me with strength unto battle. And gird me with strength unto battle. That I may crush thine enemies. That I may crush thine enemies. As dust before the wind. As dust before the wind. Amen. 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 Rise a night. It's almost like they made an attempt to kind of like mix genres and then just didn't work very hard to do it. Yeah, I almost get the sense that they think it's embodied with more of a blend of genre, but it feels very uneven. I mean, like I said, there's room to make this funnier. There's room for more action. There's room to blend the genres more. It doesn't come across so much for me. What comes across is the failed attempt to make this something more lighthearted. And then it crosses like another genre line. Zombie monks come back to life and start attacking them. Like it just, and now all of a sudden it's a horror movie again, or for the first time, or I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like another, like what could be kind of a comedy and then we kind of have like this Arthurian quest about Night and the Guy, and now we're thrown into a horror movie, and this is all in the span of five or ten minutes. I really go what is going on when the girl transforms in the courtyard, right? She like turns into a bat, and that is the first sort of sign that things aren't exactly what they seem with her, that she's not in fact a witch, that she is this demon. She like flies away, and then, yeah, then as they're going to look for her, they knight the boy, and it's just strange. Like, I just wasn't expecting that extreme sort of jump into CGI, you know? Like, it just was very jarring and out of place. I mean, the movie ends with, like, they, they conquer the demon. Like, there's, again, more sort of, like, movie cliches where somebody's trapped against the wall, and then, like, another, like, a, a somebody else comes from the back and saves the day only to be killed. At least Ron Perlman has kind of a cool death that, like, he's sort of enveloped by this demon. Like, this, it's sort of like a winged demon, like a dragon, sort of, I guess. It's like a bat. But- I thought like it looks it's like not a, it's not it's definitely not a dragon no nah, he kind of looked like a man bat right that's what I kind of took it as kind of like a devil looking demon and Ron Perlman at least has a cool death and that this like man bat demon devil bat whatever sort of like wraps its wings around him and just sort of creates fire in this little circle and just sort of burns him alive that's kind of cool but then Cage gets like cut on the eye and then gets I guess stabbed stabs him and stabs him and stabs him and stabs him <laughs> Like, with his pointy wing, I guess. Yeah, that's what it looked like. I mean, it didn't... (laughs) (laughs) Something like that could be done, like, kind of gory or, like, kind of interestingly. But it kind of was just, like, stab, stab, stab. And it was like, I guess he's going to die. But he wasn't, like, bloody or, like, I don't know. So I think that he needs to have a kind of boring, slow, drawn-out death because he needs to say goodbye to the knight. He needs to sort of, or to, to the altar boy. 
that it can't be like Ron Perlman who can just sort of vanish, because the movie is about Cage. I mean, he's on the DVD cover, he's on the movie posters, he's the guy we followed along. He just can't go up in a puff of smoke. Like, he needs to be there sort of to hold on to say his goodbyes. So I guess that's why he has this weird kind of anticlimactic death, because he sort of needs his goodbye line. Right, because the whole movie is about him. I don't know if you guys watched the deleted scenes or the original ending or the alternate ending. There is no CGI creature in the original ending. You know, Joy, we talked on the Knowing episode how I was sort of like, well, I could forgive bad CGI if it services the story well enough. And here, I can't really forgive this bad CGI. Like, this is just a little too bad. I mean, there's just no previous CGI reference in the entire film, really. I mean, at least not since those crusades way back in the beginning. The practical zombie monks, that's working for me. (laughs) Those were kind of working for me. So, like, I think what I needed here when this demon was stabbing Cage, I needed at least, like, um, you know, like a practical effect, like dagger, like something that he's holding. You know, if they just did some kind of blend with the practical effect here that was a close-up of it going into him, it would have just sold it better for me. Otherwise, like, it's just this very sort of awkward-looking shot to me because he's pinning down this demon and it's just, like, kind of comically stabbing him over and over with its wingtip. But at least in the end, you know, they save the day and the plague passes and life returns and the girl that was possessed by the demon is now a girl again and she's kind of, I guess, falls in love with the altar boy and they go off in search of... They, they sort of have the book and they have stories to tell and they're going to tell the story of what they did, I guess, right? Yeah, even though that part made no sense, it was kind of <laughs> nice, I guess. <laughs> I guess they're going to go off and be, like, witch hunters at this point. Like Hansel and Gretel? <laughs> yeah, maybe she'll lure in the demon and get possessed and then he'll read from the book and, like, it'll evaporate into the air. Maybe that's what they were doing all along. <laughs> oh, man. If only it was clear. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have much trivia about it. Cage was nominated for Worst Actor in the Razzies for his 2011 year. So not just this, but it's sort of everything he did in 2011. He was also nominated for Worst On-Screen Couple, which was given to him and literally anyone who shared the screen with him, which I think is so mean. I think the Razzies just like making fun of Cage, even when he doesn't necessarily deserve it. Adam Sandler won for Jack and Jill, Worst On-Screen Couple... He won for Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler or Katie Holmes or himself. Just like he was saved by Eddie Murphy and Norbit, he's saved here <laughs> by Adam Sandler. Lots of Razzie nominations in Cage's career, but he has not yet won an award, so there's that. Yeah, and there's a lot of things wrong with this movie, but I, I truly don't think he is. Like, you know, I, I feel like he fits the knight persona in this very well and, you know, does what he does. And if anything, I think maybe Ron Perlman should have gotten nominated, you know. It is kind of cool we get Ghost Rider and Hellboy fighting side by side. Really? You're okay. going to defend him? Could he have at least chosen an accent? At least we got, he emoted in this, at least in one scene, you know? I mean, what did Ron Perlman In one scene? (laughs) No, 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 there's a couple couple scenes, though. There's, okay, so at the very end, his sort of dying breath, maybe that's an okay scene. There's one. There's the one where he wants to kill the witch, that's two. There's the one, him at the campfire, that's three. And there's the beginning of the movie where he's having fun with Ron Perlman. So there's, there's four scenes. I really think that part of the problem here 
in terms of the accents, in terms of like the consistency, is just probably drastic amount of reshoots that they had to do. I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, that if they made this movie that the studios hated, it probably wasn't great to shoot. So I would imagine as an actor, and I do not know what they would think in this situation, they wrap shooting and then you sort of like push that character out of your head, you take out you go on to the next mission, the next movie, the next script, the next project. Then, you know, six or seven months later they have to go reshoot, and so he has to get back in the character, and maybe that's why he can't remember the accent and can't necessarily channel the character the same way. Isn't that, like, his number one job as an actor? You're excusing him from his number one job. Yeah. Because he took six months off. That's exactly what I'm doing. I feel like it's more... I feel like it's more the director's plural's fault, you know? Like, I just feel like they had two completely different ideas of what this movie should have been. At times, that's got to be really frustrating for an actor and someone of Nick Cage's caliber who I'm sure they want to try and cater to and make as comfortable as possible they're gonna probably yes him a lot more than maybe they should from time to time and perhaps this was one of the times where he was like you know I really don't want to do an accent or maybe even the director was just like we're, we're not doing accents this time you know there's, there's, a lo- there's a lot of contributing factors I just feel like I should defend him in this movie <laughs> it's hilarious to me that a second director could come in and just go well we're not doing accents this time (laughs) i'm sure like crazier things have happened i know it's awesome the weird thing about the directors and i pointed this out to you guys earlier today is that both of these directors in this movie are directors that cage worked with on movies that came out in 2000 so every 10 years or so i guess he's got to work with brett ratner and dominic cena so you know five years from now look for two more movies that are sort of hopefully closer to the movies from 2000 than the movie that came out in 2000 or shot in 2010 came out in 2011. I mean, all I want is a Family Man 2. Can we just get a Family Man 2? <laughs> I just want these directors to make their own movies next time and not make the same movie together. I was watching the like the deleted scenes or original ending or the alternate ending, and it's mostly the same. They gave Ron Perlman that fiery cinder sort of demon death that he got that, that was pretty cool looking. They added that. And the main thing they did was this demon. Originally, the girl, the witch girl, just sort of had these veins all over her and she kind of mostly like the water witch from the opening of the movie and there was none of this full-blown cgi craziness going on but what it brought to mind was that you had nick cage beating up a girl again (laughs) and we didn't really mention it but he did that in sorcerer's apprentice too i mean we kind of got all over the place in that but this is the third movie where he's punching women well, I mean, in Sorcerer's Apprentice, he punches, like, an 80-year-old Chinese woman, but she's possessed by Alfred Molina, so I guess it's kind of excusable. But, yeah, I mean, this, the Wicker Man, Sorcerer's Apprentice, just Cage just beating down women. I think it's interesting to think about that and then also think about the point that I was really feeling when I watched this movie, which is that he's often, like, the protector of women and children. But often in movies, he's so much the protector that the women and children kind of disappear as characters because he's the number one character. So it's interesting that he would also punch them. He'll protect you as long as you're not a terrible woman or lying or in a bear suit or anything. Um, Jordan, any final thoughts? I mean, I, I know we sort of get have a pretty clear idea of how you feel about this movie, but anything else you want to sort of get off your chest before we wrap up? I'm done with this movie. <laughs> Hopefully the next movie that you come back for will be better. I don't think it is, but we will see. I mean, it's it's fine. We'll get to it. Next movie you're going to be on is Rage, a.k.a. Tokarev, or the original title, Tokarev. Yeah, I so. have high hopes. 
Okay, that's good. Well, this high is not. I have medium hopes. There are good Cage movies left. Like, we've talked about it, I think, with Bangkok Dangerous, Mike, and I think you mentioned it here, that it sort of seems like it's beginning the era of Cage's straight-to-DVD, but like, these are still theatrical releases. So we're, we're approaching that straight-to-DVD sort of phase of his career, but there are still great Cage movies left, you know, in terms of just fun movies and also, like, critically great movies. So as sort of hit or miss as some of these movies coming up might be, there's still stuff to be excited about in the rest of Cage Club. So check this out. Uh, here's an interesting fact. Drive Angry is the last Cage movie that we're doing that I have previously seen. So from then on out, wow. I'm flying blind. I've seen a lot of these movies that are coming up, so I won't, I won't sort of influence you too much. I saw several of these in theaters, too. It's, it's gonna, I guess it's going to be an exciting time for you in Cage yeah. Club. It's going to be a retread for a lot of movies for me. Well, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us. I'm sorry that you had to watch a movie that you're sort of done with forever now, but thank you for coming back. Oh, thanks for having me, you guys, and it was my own fault for picking this movie. (laughs) So for all things Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, all things Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jordan Poland-Clark, and we'll see you next time on Cage Club.